All right. Welcome, live streamers, and welcome. Could you imagine now I'm a little bit more calm now? I, I, I kind of feel relaxed a little bit. Uh, I haven't song led a whole lot over the last 20 years, but I am so thankful to be thrown into a little bit of uncomfortability. That's good for you too, isn't it? When it's time to serve, when the Lord wants you to do something, instead of saying, no, I'm too scared, I'm too nervous, how about this person? Or the person in the other row. It's time to say, yes, Lord, here am I, right? All right. Well, good to see you tonight. And uh, let me ask the Lord to help me. Father, thank you for this evening. And Father, thank you for your people tonight. This is your house. This is, these are your people. And you love them very much. And Lord, in some small way, I pray that I would be able to accurately... Um, bring forth your inspired word exactly how you have exegeted it and that in some small way we would be able to walk away tonight realizing what you have said then and there and then how we can apply the practical here and now. This Bible, your word is timeless. And so tonight we're thankful that we have the truth before us and that we can seek the truth and understand it, realize it in our hearts, and walk out of here throughout the rest of the week, continuing to walk in your ways. Thank you again for these people. Bless and encourage them tonight on on through the week, I pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I asked the question last week, and this is the, the question probably for a few weeks off and on, is who's right, God or man? And we opened up last week with, and does everybody have a hard copy, a handout tonight? Do you have a piece of paper? The, anybody not have it? They, okay, so uh, there he comes. Thank you, brother. So if you don't have one, raise your hand. Raise your hand and Brother Walt will get you one. This will help you. And you might be able to tuck it away in a file and keep it, and you might need it someday. But I, I would say that this is very contemporary, very important today. This is not something that we're thinking about 20 years ago or 50 years ago. This is where we're at today, folks. So we seen number one last week. I want to just get started what we talked about last week. Number one as you get your outline, if you haven't filled it in, number one, God's delight over his glorious design. And we saw, we started in Genesis, and we actually saw, okay, here's my phone, thank you, bigger, bigger words on there. We saw in Genesis chapter one, God transformed a what, a void nothingness into what? And actually a form and an orderliness, and God is a God of order, isn't he? And so he does that, and we walked right through uh, talking about everything that he did. And after bringing order and fullness to the creation, God created what? For the earth. He created animals for the earth. And, um, and he goes on and he continues. He, the crowning point of creation is what, folks? Do you remember this? The crowning point of creation. This is easy stuff. Remember? 
human, humanity, humankind, human life, right? And here is the divine pattern in human life. Here's the divine pattern, and you remember this, male and what? Female. That's the divine pattern, isn't it, folks? That's what God had developed, which, how often has that changed uh, since the beginning of Genesis? Not the beginning of time. God has known no beginning of time, but we have. How often has that changed? Never. That's right. It has never changed throughout the rest of the scriptures, ever. And so we saw some functions of the divine pattern of a male and a female coming together in a marriage. And the functions were, remember one of them quickly? Procreation. Yeah, that's right. And then another one was what? Anybody remember? Subdue the earth, right? Subdue the earth and have dominion over everything. And then comes along... This evil, terribly corrupt, wicked Satan. And he comes along and he has, gotten, he has gotten humanity to actually start thinking about homosexuality, about SSA, same-sex attraction, same-sex marriage, genderism. And he gets them thinking this is okay, this is acceptable. And then we went through the definition of a biblical marriage, two people committed to Christ first and then to each other. The man loving his wife as Christ loved the church, directly right out of Ephesians, and then the women submitting to the husband as head. And let me say, I don't have enough time to teach on both those roles, but submission is not a bad situation. It is a perfect situation. Um, preachers have turned it into a bad situation over years of preaching it not precisely and correctly how God has made it into a beautiful situation, leadership and submission. The two operating harmoniously as one flesh. Then we talked about the definition of a family, one man and one woman with children. And then we talked about the definition of biblical family, the husband, the wife, children operating in the role that God has ordained for each and for all during their ultimate to know and to glorify God their entire lives. And so that's where we walked through last week. If this divine design by God is not followed and is rejected for man's flawed designs on earth, we will experience God's wrath, which we will see in the up-and-coming weeks. And that's where we are getting to tonight. I want to say, though, in Genesis chapter 2, we see that the man is complete or incomplete. What is he? Is he complete or incomplete? I like to ask lots of questions, and I will tell you right now, you don't have to be shy or timid around me, and if you give a wrong answer, we'll all have, you know, I've given so many wrong answers, almost every sermon, somebody smirks or laughs for 20 years, and I just have to laugh, I go home and hear from my family what I did wrong, but in Genesis chapter 2, when God made man, was he complete or incomplete? Yeah, he was incomplete. He was what? He was alone, and that state, was it good or bad? It wasn't so good for him to be alone. It wasn't good. In fact, the only thing in creation, it's not that God made something bad. Okay, don't, 
don't, I didn't say that, okay? Everything he made was good. But here he is, he's alone, and uh, the only thing in creation that is not right and good up to this point, in, in, in at least God's opinion, what he says here, is that man is alone. He's alone. So we see the first marriage ceremony, and God officiates it in verses 21 through 25. Go ahead and turn to your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And let me just read over verses 21 through 25 and just follow along with me tonight. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh and they both they were both naked and the man and his and his wife and were not ashamed and they were both naked and they were not ashamed there was no sin first man first woman we first see the first marriage ceremony and god officiates it and what do we see right away adam needs help, right? Adam needs help. So God gives Adam a helper, right? He gives Adam a helper. The word helpmate is, uh, essentially describes one who provides what is lacking in a man, in the man, who can do what the man alone cannot do. That's why our helpmates are so, so, so important to us. The man was so created in such a way that he needs the help of a partner. The words at the end of verse 20, for him, they literally mean according to his, now this is important folks, according to his opposite or counterpart. Why is that so important tonight, folks? Because God didn't make man and man is alone, and he needs help, and he didn't just make another man to help the first man, because the first man needed help, so he made another man to help the first man. The words mean of opposite kind, folks, a counterpart. It means by difference, what Adam lacked she supplied. What Adam lacked, Eve supplied. What I lack, my wife supplies. And what she lacks, I supply. There is equality in God's image completely for the man and the woman. There is equality, folks, in the husband and the wife, in the man and the woman, in Adam and Eve in God's image. But there is this radical difference, folks. And what's this radical difference? There is one man and then there is one woman. It is a radically different situation. Equality? Absolutely. Are there different roles? 
Absolutely. But there's this radical difference. They weren't the same kind. They were opposite. They were different. And this is God's design. God designed it. God takes out of a man and makes not another man, but a woman to form the first marriage, period. Period. Where do you want to go to refute same-sex marriage and sexuality? Go right to Genesis chapter 2 and start right at the very beginning, and then you can work your way right through the Word of God. Number one, completely be adequate with the Word of God and understand it's true and believe it, and then go teach it. This is easy stuff. You can go to Genesis chapter 2. They might not believe you, that's an old archaic book, but hey, that's up to them. But this is God's design, folks. When God brings her unto man, this act of his is the institution of marriage and stamps marriage as a divinely willed and approved state by God. And folks, the sexuality of a marriage, of the marriage, is established here, and it's established forever, never to be tampered with or changed because of some emotion or feeling. I just, I think I feel like I I like him, or she feels like she likes her, because there's a whole lot of things in the past in their lives that have been going on, and you got to dig around and get away from the fruit and go for the root and find out what's been going on in their lives. But no matter how they feel, no matter what, all the emotions are going on, this is God's perfect design, folks. You can't tamper with the sexuality of marriage. How God designed it. God takes rib out of man and he formed, or you could say he built a woman. God did that, folks. God built, he built a woman for the man. He did that. Folks, God creates boys and girls. Right or wrong? Come on. Right or wrong? Right. God creates boys and girls, folks. When he creates boys and girls, they grow up to be what? Men and women. God don't create boys and girls and they grow up to be two girls or boys and girls and they grow up and they be two women. God creates girls and boys and they grow up to be men and women never to say that instead of a man, they really are a woman. Or instead of a woman, I really am a man. Hey, I got news for you folks tonight. I look like a man, but I feel like a woman tonight. Are you going to buy into that? You're not going to. But let me tell you, many, many do. And many presently, contemporarily, are buying into that, folks. This is the divine plan for creation and for marriage. For creation and marriage. If a marriage is designed in any other way, it is not a divine, biblical, God-ordained marriage. When you hear on the news, when you're reading the headlines, uh, whatever it is, when you're reading the archives of the, uh, some kind of article from something, and it says anything other than one man and one woman for, for a marriage, it's not biblical. It's not of God. 
And folks, we've got to know that. I know we know that tonight. I know you got it. <laughs> I know you got it. And I know you're there. But we need to realize and remember that of all times in the history of the United States, we're a very young country. A couple hundred plus years. India is 5,000 year old. That's why the culture is so radically incredible. We're a very, very young country. And we've got to know that and we've got to stand there because, folks, we're on the brink of, of, of the ground beneath us eroding very quickly in this country. We have to understand that there are consequences of abandoning God's divine design for the marriage and family. God is right, folks. And when man changes anything about God and His Word, and in this case, the view of marriage, man is liable and answerable to God's judgment and God's wrath. Now, you say, boy, you are speaking pretty bold tonight. I'm not speaking, I'm not speaking very bold because we're going to a passage that God just lays out early on in the New Testament. And it's God's word concerning this, what's going on in this nation. Let me give you a little bit more. Let me prime the pump just a little bit more. As we watch and see the direction that our, na our nation is turning and the totally different design that man is coming up with, it is crucial to understand how God will deal with this. Folks, it is important to understand that there is one of two different possibilities that are going to take place in this nation. Can anybody in here tell the future? No. I mean, we can't. We don't know exactly. I mean, we have prophecy, and we can't understand biblical prophecy, what's coming out in the future, but we can't tell the future. But one of two things, I was listening to a really close friend of mine and he gave me some insight on this, and I, I really quite a bit agree with some of his insight. We are either going to see revival, which actually God could start tonight, couldn't he? God could start revival. He could start it tomorrow. He could start it tonight. He could start it next week. But we are either we are on the verge in this present contemporary age we're either going to need revival, folks, which God could start tonight, or we are on the edge of a progressive season of persecution in this country. There are so many things going on in society today showing up as an uprise in persecution that we never seen. We never have seen this amount. Here's an art. Let me give you a couple articles, and this is just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of a taste. Here's an article. This is a California bill, and this is all contemporary. California bill proposes removing cops that have or express religious or conservative beliefs. This new bill would prohibit police officers from serving if they have used hate speech. And we, you know what I mean when I do this. It's not hate speech. But the media and society is saying it's hate speech. 
Right, Michael? So, this new bill would prohibit police officers from serving if they have used hate speech or are affiliated with a hate speech group, which they're not. This bill could give way for Christians to be labeled as hateful if you do not support abortion or Proposition 8 in California if you don't support same-sex amendment. That was passed back in 2008. Folks, there's a lot of things going on that is totally opposed to Christianity and where you and I live and stand. Here's another article. Canadian, a Canadian father, not too, too long ago, a Canadian father facing prison for not cooperating with his daughter's transgender trans, transition. This man faces a crime for publicly discussing and talking about the doctors involved with his daughter's gender design procedures. He could face up to five years in prison for talking and naming the doctors that were going to do the procedures on his daughter. Or many, mo many of you have heard about this person. If you haven't, it's just recently happened. Um, consider the Canadian pastor, James Coates. Anybody been keeping up with James Coates? A few of you. Uh, James Coates, who last was released from prison. This is in Canada. This is not in India or Pakistan or Russia. This is right up north. I was a lot closer a year ago to Canada. You can laugh. <laughs> Pastor James Coates, who was last released from prison and all charges were dropped. He was in jail, folks. He was actually a master's seminary graduate from John, John MacArthur's uh, seminary, if you know who John MacArthur is in the seminary out there. He graduated from MacArthur Seminary. And he's preaching up in Canada. And he gets thrown in prison. He was in prison in Canada because he opened his church during, guess what? COVID lockdowns. Now, we've all been a little bit sensitive to that. And I wasn't here during the beginning of COVID lockdowns and every pastor all over the world had decisions to make and how to go about it and everything. But this pastor is like, it's over. We're done with it. No more lockdown. And he gets thrown in prison for that, folks. For worshiping. For coming to church and the people of God coming to church because they want to hear preaching about God's word. And he gets thrown in prison for that. This just recently happened. Another Canadian church, Trinity Bible Chapel, had been persecuted uh, recently as all six elders, their pastors, had charges press against them for holding church services. I mean, what's it going to come to? Pastor Carl, are you going to get arrested next week because you want to hold a church service because God's people want to come hear God's word preached? They responded to their government. And this is part of what they said. Our Savior shed his blood to purchase the church and therefore deeming the church unessential is tantamount to deeming the blood of Jesus Christ unessential which is a public act of blasphemy, folks. We all need to count it joy to be able to walk in these doors every time these doors are opened up and worship the Lord because our next-door neighbors up there in Canada 
And even MacArthur's church, lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit, and here we are able to walk in and hear Pastor Carl preach and open up the Word of God. How long will that continue to happen? I don't know. But there's been a lot of pressure because of this season we're in. They, they continue to say, one day our court officials will stand before the Lord for their, these acts. Jesus Christ is the King of kings, and we must honor and obey him before all and any earthly governments. And we all know that, where the government, you know, the government is good, Romans 13, uh, they protect us, but when they ask us to do something contrary to God's word, then no, we're going to obey God. One more, one mass, Massachusetts church was challenged to open its woman's shelter. Folks, let me ask you a question. Who goes to a woman's shelter? You're like, duh, women, right? They were challenged to open its woman's shelter to men. The government said, you have a woman's shelter, and you have to let men come into that shelter if they identify as a woman. What are you going to do about that? Shotgun. Oh, boy. Is he on the safety team? Um, um, folks, this is just the iceberg of articles I could read contemporarily present day that's going on. Folks, the left has gotten in and are wasting no time to set up their agenda. Bill after bill after bill, legislation after legislation being signed so fast you can't even count them. This nation is rapidly becoming more and more sinful and we will either experience revival or Christian persecution will continue on the uprise. It's got to be. It's either got to be revival, we've got to drop to our knees, and, and this nation's got to come to revival. Or if you truly are a sheep and not a goat, man, the persecution is on the uptick, on the uprise. If you stand for one man and one woman in a marriage, if you stand for that from Genesis chapter 2, even when people call you an old fogey, you are liable to lose your pulpit. You're liable to get thrown in jail. You're liable. There's a lot of stuff happening out there, folks. But that shouldn't discourage us. It should excite us. Because some of the best church growth movements ever have been during persecution. I don't have time to, that's a whole other study, but some of the most rapid growth of the, the church of God has been during extreme persecution. So that shouldn't concern us, it shouldn't scare us, it should excite us if something like that happens. But we should pray for revival. So that is why I want to go from Genesis concerning God's glorious divine design to now Romans chapter 1 to God's response to man messing with his design. And folks, let me tell you, you mess with God's design, <laughs> man, you're, you're in big trouble you mess with God's design. And so he has this first chapter in Romans to deal with that. The Greek word, folks, for wrath is orge. And it refers to a settled, determined indignation, not to the momentary, emotional, and often uncontrolled anger, which the Greek word is thumos, to which human beings are prone. Me? I'm thumos. Where's my supper? No, I wouldn't say that. I don't, I don't think I would. 
But that's humans. Thumos is humans. God is orge. It's, it's settled. It's determined. Folks, God's attributes are balanced in divine perfection. Think about it. If he had no righteous anger and wrath, he would not be God. Just as surely as he would not be God without his gracious love, right? He perfectly, perfectly hates just as he perfectly loves, folks. Do you think he hates the homosexual? He hates homosexuality. It's a sin. But he sure graciously would love to save that one. He perfectly hates just as he perfectly loves. He perfectly loves righteousness and he perfectly hates evil. Folks, one of the horrible errors of this generation of preaching is the failure to preach and teach the wrath of God and the condemnation it brings. In many ways, God poured out his wrath against man in the past. Think about it. Help me out a little bit. Think about it. And by the way, I'm going to ask a few questions tonight. This is not part of the asking the few questions, but I uh, think about it. In the past, how has God poured out his wrath? Well, in the days of Noah, he destroyed all mankind with a what? Yeah, with a local flood, right? Yeah, worldwide flood, right? He, he confounded man's language and scattered them all around the earth from trying to build an idolatrous tower to heaven. That's God's wrath, isn't it, folks? In the days of Abraham, he destroyed a couple cities, didn't he? What? Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that God's wrath? That's God's wrath, folks. He destroyed Pharaoh and his army in the sea, right? Yeah. God's wrath is just as clear in the New Testament as we remember the... Con- the, 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 the comforting words of John 3.16, right? You know John 3.16, right? Pretty much everybody in here has it down. And then we read John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not on the Son shall not see everlasting life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's God's word. If you don't bow a knee like we sang tonight to the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth while you're still breathing in a living faith, only grace, only through the cross, only. If you don't bow any here while you're still breathing, folks, it's the wrath of God. There's no other way to just explain it but to lay it out. Would you agree with me tonight? Would you agree with me tonight? A disease has to be recognized and identified before seeking a cure, right? You can't get a cure until you realize what disease that you have and identify it. In the same way and for the same reason, Scripture reveals the bad news before the good news. Fortunately, there is good news, right? There's great news. The good news of the gospel. What Christ did for us, but it does reveal the bad news before the good news. God's righteous judgment against sin is proclaimed before His gracious forgiveness of sin is offered. A person has no reason to seek salvation from sin if he does not know he is condemned by it. Right, folks? How can you be saved if you don't even know you're lost? How can you know you need a Savior if you don't know that you're in sin? So I believe that 
this country and the people in it, including us, need to know the reality of God's wrath as we watch the Supreme Courts, the, the, all the court systems uh, trickling down and many, many individuals. And, and they, they change the interpretation of God's divine design. They change, they change the interpretation of God's design for marriage. They want to change. They want to rip it apart and shred it apart into any possible definition you want to come up with. They want to change the outlook of the family, the family that God made up, and even the fact of how they were created by Him. No, He He didn't create me a man. He created me a woman. No, He created me a horse. I mean, we can't just not look at it and turn the other cheek and like, oh, it'll all just pass. The season will pass. It's not passing, folks. It is building up steam. If you ever watched the movie Sheffy, Sheffy said, when we give up things as Christians, we can never get them back. We can never get them back. And the United States, I'm talking about a country that's very, very, very young that, were, that was brought up into a Christian society. We are a very sinful society. So man is changing constantly. You probably couldn't watch the news without catching something about how some organization is changing something. So we've seen God's delight over his glorious design. Let me just give you number two. I won't be able to get into this much at all tonight, but I want to give you where we're heading for the next number of weeks off and on. Number two, God's judgment over man's different design. And this is in Romans 1.18. And just turn there. And again, we'll just have a minute or so to get started, get you thinking about this. I'm trying to lay the foundation and the premise. God is a God of love, folks. He is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of long-suffering and patience. But, but you, can't, you can't disconnect God's perfect wrath also because you've seen it in the past and you're going to see it in the New Testament. That's a perfect God and that's His attributes. Number two, God's judgment over man's different designs. Roman, Romans chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 18, folks. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Letter A, we're going to look at the reality of the wrath of God. The reality. The reality of the wrath of God. And that's where I want to stop tonight just to whet your appetite a little bit, but we are going to look at some characteristics of God's wrath. Just as if we were doing a study on God's love, agape love, or mercy, or grace, or any of those attributes. We're going to do a study on the characteristics of God's wrath. We've got to. We've got to see the whole picture, the big picture. And so where we are heading in the United States, we can't just dismiss it and say it's okay. We'll be okay. Maybe not, maybe. But we need to know what's going on. 
We need to know how to live for God and be a light that's not hid under a bushel and be a testimony of Jesus Christ and His love and His mercy and His graciousness. But we cannot just hold back on, hey, listen, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, maybe I better not tell you the consequences. Right? We've got to tell them the whole gospel. Right? That's not being mean and it's not being tough. That's being, that's being right. That's being loving. Helping to understand that, listen, you need to bow knee now before it's too late. And don't buy into all this stuff that... that that men are coming up with and redefining. Go to God's Word and see it. We need to help them, don't we? And if they don't agree with us, we don't put our tail between our legs and like, oh, I'm sorry, you're, you got a PhD and you graduated from Harvard and I can't keep up with you. You're intellectual. No. Pastor Carl was, was been talking about the wisdom of, right? Wisdom, foolishness, God, man. Let me ask you a couple questions here. You guys are thinking, studying, and I'm not trying to be totally sober and serious and scary or anything tonight, but that's, this country is heading that way. It's not going the opposite. People aren't getting in line and saying, hey, I believe the creation story. I believe in one man and one woman for marriage. So... So we need to deal with this present contemporary issue today properly. And we need to be ready for it and not lose. This is a great window that we have. Really, seriously, folks, it is a great window we have as Christians. Because you're going to run into it constantly, and it's a great opportunity for you to help somebody see their need for Christ. It's a great window for us to be offensive with the gospel. Let me ask you a couple of questions here tonight as we finish up. Um, so, here's the easiest one. And uh, whoever gets it, they can have, now there's a whole bowl of these out there. Who's right, God or man? Everybody wins tonight. Yes, God, that was, that was the easy one. Here's another question for you to think about. Um, in Genesis 2, and I just went over most of this so it should be fresh in your minds, in Genesis 2, so my deal is I want it to be so fresh. I want to talk about it, go to the scriptures. I want to go questions and think about it and talk about it. And when you leave, it is just so filled in your head and in your heart, you're saturated by it. Because guess what? Tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and you're going to go shopping at Walmart and you're going to see some, somebody with whiskers and hairy legs. And he's got, uh, I mean, he says he's a woman, but then like, what are you going to do? Like... I'm so glad we talked about it last night. I'm going to go check out the lettuce and see if I can talk to him or something. I don't know. Okay. In Genesis chapter 2, was it okay that the man, Adam, was alone? Was it okay that he was incomplete? No, it wasn't. So what did God do about Adam's loneliness and incompleteness? Kind of paraphrase it. What did he do, folks? Somebody. What's that? He did, didn't he? Yeah. What did he do? Yeah. Put Adam to sleep. Did he have an anesthesiologist there? No. Didn't need. God was. Created a, a woman. Yeah. Took from Adam and created a woman and surgery. And, and uh, yeah, that's right. He. 
gave him a helpmate. There is equality in God's image, but there is one major difference in the sexuality of this first marriage. And these are so easy. What, what is that major difference, folks? Somebody. What's that? Yeah, and what were the opposites? Just say it. Male and female. That's what God did, didn't he? Made a male and female. What is one way God poured out his wrath in the past? There's one, the flood in Noah's time. Give me another one if you can remember. What's that? Sodom and Gomorrah. That's another one. I gave like four or five of them. Yeah, that's, oh man, you think of all those chariots and, I feel bad for the horses. No, I mean, uh, the, the men and, and, yeah, but that's God's wrath. He was, he, what was he protecting and, and saving Israel, his people? And that's his wrath. Tower of Babel, that's right. He scattered, didn't he? Because what were they doing? They were idolatrous people, weren't they? So he scattered. Um, couple more questions and I'm done here. When man changes God's glorious design, will there be any consequences if man or an organization, when they change God's glorious design of marriage and the family, will there be any consequences? Yeah, why do we know that? Second point tonight. Romans chapter 1. And when we dig into this, folks, there is consequences for tampering with God's Word and changing His creation, changing His design of the marriage, the family. You're right. When is the first time we see God's wrath in the Scriptures? Now, I didn't go over this, but think about it. When is the first time we see God's wrath in the scriptures. I didn't get that far tonight, but I'm going to ask the question and see since I didn't really state it. Think about it. When's the very first time we see God's wrath in the scriptures? This is a little bit of a tougher one. The Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned. And then what did God say right after they sinned? You shall surely die. That's God's wrath. On sin. That's the consequences of we sin. We're going to die without Jesus Christ, the Savior. So that's the first glimpse of God's wrath in the scriptures. And I got to end with this one. Somebody very important in the New Testament experienced God's wrath. Very important to us tonight as Christians. Somebody experienced God's wrath. Yeah. That's right. I think you said Jesus and you said the cross. That's, didn't Jesus experience the Father's wrath on the cross? The, yeah. That's right. That's right. So, folks, be encouraged. Don't be discouraged and go home and, like, man. This is a tough place to live. It isn't. It is, but it isn't. You have, you're walking with Jesus Christ. And so be greatly encouraged, folks. 
to hold God's word to the standard. Hold God's word to the perfect standard. And don't be ashamed of it. 